0: Such an arduous journey getting to the end. Finally, the last pick came in. I could exhale. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The last pick in the draft was Chad Kelly, Mississippi. Very good pick by the Broncos. (laughs) They got their guy with the very last pick. Potentially the third best quarterback in this draft class, Chad Kelly. Great job by the Broncos. We're starting this in reverse. We're going to go from the last pick to the second-to-last pick all the way to the first pick, analyzing each one. The second-to-last pick was Matt Days, running back we liked from... <laughs> no, we're not going through every player from the end to the beginning. That would be crazy. But I know you all want to hear my takes on this draft, Clearly you all are contacting us at Roto Underworld on Twitter and emailing us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Please do continue to let me know what you'd like me to talk about and when. And based on the messages we're receiving from you, you want to hear NFL Draft Talk on Monday from me. You want my grades. Yes, the grades. Who won the draft? Who lost the draft? Who's moving up? Who's moving down? Who are the movers? Who are the shakers? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, some players did enhance their fantasy value, and others, their fantasy value came in at worst-case scenario after the draft. That happens. We should talk about that. We will. That's what we're going to talk about today. We have a long show. We're going to talk about all the first-round picks and every team's grade. It's a lot to cover, and we can't get to it all today, so there will be... Four shows this week, as there always are. I know you're thinking, four shows? What? Four shows? Yes, of course, we have four shows. We have the Mind of Mansion show, the show you're listening to now, the monologue show on Roto Underworld Radio. We have the Sonic Truth podcast. Nate and I are recording the Sonic Truth podcast tonight so you can have it tomorrow. Monday, Tuesday, boom, boom, back-to-back shows. Later in the week, I'm having Josh Norris from Roto World on. He's their draft expert. We need to talk to him about... The movers and the shakers. Who are the risers? Who are the fallers based on their landing spots during the NFL draft? Josh Norris is a draft expert, but he also plays fantasy. And he knows how to analyze these players from a fantasy football standpoint. That's why I think he's a unique draft analyst to have on the week after the NFL draft. Happy to have him on. Really appreciate him taking the time. That'll be available probably Thursday. Then Friday... We're going to do a backstage pass. Every week I do a backstage pass show where I take you behind the curtain and I talk to you about what's going on at playerprofiler.com or just what I'm thinking, what happened to me that week. I tell anecdotes about my life, talk about the new features we're going to be rolling out for playerprofiler.com, and we aggressively critique other analysts on that show. But that show is only available to podcast patrons because the rest of you are getting the show for free. You're not helping to support the show at all. If we didn't have podcast patrons, the show wouldn't exist. So a minority are funding this show for the majority. And that minority gets an extra show per week. And many of them believe it's the best show we do because it's password protected, it's candid, and it's more personal. If you'd like to get access to that show, please become a podcast patron. The patrons are the producers of the show and they make this show possible. Go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, search Podfather, sign up today, and you will get a Roto Underworld t-shirt. They're the coolest t-shirts in all of fantasy football. It's the definition of a no-brainer value proposition. So lots of shows focusing on the draft. On the backstage pass this week, I'll be talking about my experience as an NFL draft analyst for the Yahoo Sports draft show. Lots of fun stories about hanging out with Tony Saragusa and Brad Evans, Tank Williams. And I'll talk about how that show came together and what I was thinking throughout. It was a lot of fun. So I think that's the perfect event to take the premium members of this audience behind the curtain. I'll also be rolling out the dynasty rankings. The dynasty rankings need to be updated. Lamar Miller. (laughs) Stock falling. Latavius Murray. (laughs) Stock falling. I know what you're thinking, later in the week? No, I insist that you have your Dynasty rankings up to date now. Lots of fantasy services have already updated their Dynasty rankings, Matt Kelly. I'm paying good money for your rankings, and you should. playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, we have the best Dynasty rankings and the best Dynasty rookie rankings in the business. You know they're the best because they're the most expensive. But if I'm paying a premium, why aren't they ready right after the draft? Because I'm not Mike Clay, that's why. Because I don't treat receivers, running backs, and tight ends as just generic space holders in my spreadsheet. I can't just press a button, run a formula, treating every player as a generic space holder to microwave you projections the day after the draft. We we talked about this last year with Mike Clay, projecting Corey Coleman to approach a 1,000 yards and to be the clear-cut number one wide receiver for the Browns, justifying a rocket ship ADP out of a science fiction movie. No! We do not just plug players with generic designations into a spreadsheet based on draft capital and update our projections an hour after the draft. I am not Mike Clay. That is not our process. We're better than that. We think every player in every situation through based on a number of metrics. That takes time. If you want the best rankings in the business, you want someone who's going to devote significant brain power to the endeavor, not just microwave you a bunch of projections just based on what the wide receiver one did last year for that team. No, it's complicated and it requires a sophisticated process. And that's why you listen to me. And that's why you should be willing to wait a few extra days so that I can maximize the accuracy of my projections and rankings. And it will be interesting to see where I have Mike Glennon ranked, won't it? <laughs> if he's ranked at all! <laughs> Mike Glennon! <laughs> Stop crashing. Poor Mike Glennon. He came out and he said he feels like a scorned lover. <laughs> the Bears cheated on him, yes. Oh, Mike. Oh. Your boyfriend cheated on you after he gave you an $18 million necklace. I think the $18 million will soothe Mike Glennon. But here's the thing. During the free agency process, Mike Glennon clearly thought that he was a starting quarterback in the NFL. But he's not. We came on and told you. Mike Glennon never has and never will be a starting quarterback in the NFL. He is a backup caliber quarterback only And his arm strength is a mere 49 miles per hour. We don't have any starting quarterbacks in the league that throw under 49 miles per hour. And we won't until Deshaun Watson claws his way into a starting job and ultimately fails. Mike Glennon never had the NFL draft capital to claw his way to a starting job. It's Mitchell Trubisky's job in week one. So Mike Glennon was just delusional. But you can understand how someone could be delusional. This happens all the time with side chicks. Side chick knows he's married, but he just gave her this beautiful $18 million necklace. Maybe he's starting to crack. Maybe I'm really the one. Why would he give me this necklace if I'm not the one? Then she reads the details of the necklace, realizes it's more of a one-year deal with an easy opt-out. Whoops! But you could see how one would become delusional, how one would get the wrong idea. It's a big investment for a backup quarterback. So I understand why Mike Glennon's upset, but what he didn't realize until now is that the Bears are an incompetent organization. They are one of the most incompetent organizations in all of football. They're right up there with the Houston Texans and the Carolina Panthers. They don't know what they're doing. So while he was bathing in the praise during the free agency courting process, He did not realize that the team that was fawning over him, the Chicago Bears, actually didn't know what the hell they're doing. If during meetings they told him, Mike, you're a starting caliber quarterback in this league. We not only starting, we believe you're an above average quarterback in the NFL. If they told that to him, which they very likely did, the problem is the Chicago Bears front office largely incompetent and they don't know what they're talking about. So the message is not all that's important. It's also who is delivering the message. Equally important. So Mike Glennon was a sucker. And the Bears were suckers. Everybody in that situation was just a bunch of suckers. But the Mitchell Trubisky pick was the number two pick in the NFL draft. I do want to go through this draft. Talk about it. The first pick in the NFL draft is the one I want to start with, Miles Garrett. Now, I have a Miles Garrett take memorized because my first appearance on television, well, streaming on the computer at least... Was my analysis of Miles Garrett. So I was maximum nervous during my Miles Garrett take delivery during the Yahoo Draft Show. So I've talked about Miles Garrett to myself in front of the mirror countless times. Miles Garrett has the burst score to get off the edge and explode into the backfield and wreak havoc on opposing quarterbacks. He is a bigger, stronger, faster Jadavian Clowney. Wouldn't you want a bigger, stronger Jadavian Clowney? I would. Miles Garrett's so good. I'm surprised he was available at one. Only five-star prospect in this entire draft class. This draft class was not good. So you saw the New England Patriots just traded out of this draft class. You wonder why they did that. They did that because it was Miles Garrett and a bunch of guys. That's this draft class. If you wanted to summarize it in a sentence, it's Miles Garrett and a bunch of guys. So the Patriots said, well, actually, why don't you give us proven producers and we'll give you picks the people that run the patriots win their dynasty league every year and pretty soon the patriots will be competing with the cleveland browns for the afc championship because the cleveland browns are coming after miles garrett look at what the cleveland browns did later in the draft jabril peppers (gasps) They got this pick from the Texans, the other wholly incompetent franchise in the NFL. I mean, it's a competition between the Texans and the Bears and the Panthers. Who can be the most incompetent? And an easy litmus test for the incompetent franchise, did you trade up for a quarterback? If you trade it up for a quarterback, you're doing it wrong in most cases. We'll talk about the Chiefs and how they did it right in a little bit. But in most cases, you're doing it wrong. The Browns acquired more picks from the Texans, traded down from pick 12 to pick 25, and then got a guy that should have been drafted at pick 12 anyway in Jabril Peppers. Why? Jabril Peppers is the best safety in this class. Easily. It's not even close. Coming out of high school in 2013, he was the best defender. Period. USA Today had Jabril Peppers ranked as the number one player in the country coming out of high school, at least on the defensive side of the ball. But I think at that time he was a two-way player. He was simply the best player coming out of high school in 2013. Also, a two-time state champion in both the 100-meter dash and the 200-meter dash. guy is a redonkulous athlete. Just redonkulous. I love that word, redonkulous. Just redonkulous. Just redonkulous, redonkulous, redonkulous athlete. Played defensive end in high school. They moved him to safety at one point. Then Michigan said, nah, we're going to move you to linebacker. We need linebacker help. And all Jabril Peppers did was rack up tackles for losses and sacks and pass deflections and interceptions. Just did it all. Just was a nightmare for opposing offensive coordinators throughout his time at Michigan and the only reason why he fell to pick 25 is because Michigan wasn't playing him at his natural position they were playing him at linebacker so he didn't have a lot of safety tape that the tape grinders could look at and go oh yeah this guy has great hips at safety so he falls to 25 Because you have to use your imagination and say, well, what happens when we move this guy to safety? What happens when you move this guy to safety? You instantly have one of the best safeties in the NFL. (laughs) That's what happens. He gets sideline to sideline. He gets downhill. He can do it all. We put Jabril Peppers in the safety class when we loaded him into the database. And then you see, boom, upper percentile, 40 times, speed score, burst score. You add that to the production at Michigan and the pedigree, oh, No, the Browns. Oh, the Browns. So good. The Browns got a better safety at 25 than the Jets got at six. The Jets got a one-dimensional Jamal Adams, who is a run-stuffing strong safety in a league that trends more pass-heavy every single year. The Jets are out here drafting a run-stopping safety. Of course, because of course, because it's so Jets to do that. The Browns are taking the most versatile player in this entire draft, Jabril Peppers, because he can also return kicks. He can return punts. <laughs> Just a football whiz. When we talk about hashtag good at football. The one guy in this draft that we know is hashtag good at football is Jabril Peppers. And the Browns weren't done. Oh, no. No, no. They weren't done. The Browns weren't done. I can't believe it. With pick 29, David Njoku. Ah! Ah! What? How? How does David Njoku fall? I'll tell you how, because the Buffalo Bills picked Tredavious White at pick 27. Tredavious White is a replacement-level cornerback in the NFL, picked in the first round. Oh, Bills. I forgot about the Bills. I don't actually classify the Bills as one of the incompetent organizations, because they just turned over their entire front office. So they knew that they were incompetent, and they fired everyone. So they've already fixed the glitch in Buffalo. So I'm not holding the Tredavious White draft pick against them. Their scouts were checked out. Their scouts didn't even bring notepads, stopwatches, all the things other scouts bring to pro days. The Bills scouts brought none of that. They just showed up to chit-chat, mailing it in. And that's what the Bills did in this draft, mailed it in with Tredavious White. 113.9, 9th percentile burst score, 1122, 39th percentile agility score for Tredavious White. And he's not even big. He's 5'11". So you're taking a small, unathletic cornerback in the first round. So bills! So bills! That's how David Njoku falls to 29. And the team that... And this David Njoku slide is the most unforgivable for Dolphins fans. Because David Njoku played at Miami. Clearly, Dolphins scouts were familiar with David Njoku. And who do they pick with pick 22? The Dolphins picked Charles Harris? Charles Harris is the Tredavious White of the edge rushers. Now, his team also played him out of position. Just like Michigan played Jabril Peppers out of position, the Missouri Tigers played the 250-pound Charles Harris at edge rusher. Now, he's too small, and he's not athletic enough to play edge in the NFL. He's more than 20 pounds lighter than Miles Garrett, And he has a speed score of 92.5, 19th percentile, a burst score of 108.9, 18th percentile. What we care about with edge rushers is can you explode off the edge or not? That's why we have these explosion metrics specifically to help us evaluate edge rushers. So Charles Harris can't play edge at best. He's going to be a middle linebacker because he only stands six three and he's not fast. He can't get sideline to sideline. He doesn't even have great agility. So I don't even know how he's going to be a Mike middle linebacker with 1189, 26 percentile agility. I, I don't know. I don't know. The, he checks no boxes. He was relatively productive. He checks very few boxes. He was relatively productive at Missouri. I mean, that's about it. Playing a position he won't be playing at the NFL level. Charles Harris is not a first-round pick. Tredavious White is not a first-round pick. And who's picking the non-first-round picks in the first round? It's the franchises we always talk about on this show. The Miami Dolphins. (coughs) The Buffalo Bills. (coughs) Just gross draft picks. If you're a fan of these teams, I'm sorry. I really am. I'm sorry. I was talking to a Bills fan today. I just said, I'm sorry. I'm just sorry. I really am. I'm sorry. Because you know it's never going to happen with this current regime. You have playerprofiler.com. You know it's impossible to win a Super Bowl when you're burning first round picks on Charles Harris and Tredavious White. You know it's impossible. That has to be so demoralizing. And I empathize with these people because I am a Patriots fan. I am spoiled, and my second favorite team now is the Cleveland Browns. I mean, I love the Cleveland Browns. They got David and Joku at pick twenty-eight. How David and Joku is the best tight end prospect since Kellen Winslow. I know Rob Gronkowski. Is the best tight end now. But during the pre-draft process, no one thought Rob Gronkowski was a first-round pick. But during the pre-draft process, plenty of people considered David Njoku an elite prospect because uh, he is elite. He checked every box, size, size size-adjusted production, efficiency at the college level, all the athleticism metrics, burst, agility, speed score, catch radius. Bing, 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 bing. Think about the core that the Cleveland Browns are building. It's special. Oh, is it special? And then in the second round, they realized, oh wait, the teams with quarterback demand have satiated that demand in the first round. The quarterback run is over. The Cleveland Browns were playing fantasy football in the second round. They were just waiting, waiting and waiting, knowing that no one was going to take the last quality quarterback prospect on the board, Deshaun Kaiser. And sure enough, there's Deshaun Kaiser at the end of the second round oh pick 20 in the second round i mean just sent a shiver down my spine seeing the browns move up to get deshaun kaiser because they waited long enough they said okay 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 okay, fine fine we gotta get deshaun kaiser here now I know Deshaun Kaiser doesn't have exciting metrics. He does not. I'm not waving the flag for Deshaun Kaiser. When have I ever sat in front of this microphone touting Deshaun Kaiser? I have not, and I will not. We know Deshaun Kaiser has above-average throw velocity. He's smart. He's not a genius. 28 wonderlick He's relatively athletic. 4'8'3'40, 55th percentile. But he wasn't efficient. 74.7 college QBR. 8.4 yards per attempt. What we do know about Deshaun Kaiser is he broke out at an early age, 19.7, 79th percentile breakout age. And he looks the part. He has the size that NFL scouts covet, 6'4", 233. Now, the quarterback position is by far and away the most difficult position to scout and project at the next level. It's such a complex position, and it's so asymmetrical to any other position that you just can't use the same metrics and the same processes to evaluate quarterbacks. Every quarterback prospect is an ambiguous prospect. Knowing that, I would never draft a quarterback at pick three through 32. I just would not do it. Because you look back through time at the probabilities, most of those quarterbacks fail. Those are your Christian Ponders. Those are your Blaine Gabbert's. Go back to Achilles Smith. Brady Quinn. Now, I understand there's going to be an Aaron Rodgers drafted in that zone. There's going to be a Ben Roethlisberger drafted in that zone. Fine. But I don't like the hit rate of the quarterbacks in that zone. If there's not an Andrew Luck or a Marcus Mariota at pick one, two, I'm out on quarterbacks in the first round. Maybe you can convince me to trade up like the Chiefs did for a Patrick Mahomes. That was a great move. Maybe. But I wouldn't do it. I would simply have a firm policy in place. We don't Trade up for quarterbacks, number one, and number two, we don't take quarterbacks at pick three through 32. It's just not worth it. I would rather draft multiple quarterbacks in the later rounds and hope to hit on a Tom Brady, on a Dak Prescott, on a Derek Carr, on a Kirk Cousins, rather than burning a top 10 pick on a Ryan Tannehill, because picking quarterbacks in round two through seven does not commit your franchise to that quarterback. You are not walking willingly into quarterback purgatory if things go sideways with that quarterback. You take Blake Bortles at three, if it doesn't go well, you're in quarterback purgatory for years. The Miami Dolphins are still in quarterback purgatory because they took Ryan Tannehill in the top ten. If they had taken Ryan Tannehill in the second or third round, they would have been able to get out from under this Ryan Tannehill Medusa curse by now. But the draft capital investment banishes these franchise to a quarterback purgatory that takes many years to attain your freedom from. That's why the Deshaun Kaiser pick was just so savvy because now Deshaun Kaiser comes in with low expectations and you're not committed to starting him at any point. You could have a real live actual quarterback competition in training camp between Cody Kessler, and Deshaun Kaiser, best quarterback wins. And I think it's 50 50. I think that Deshaun Kaiser has the draft capital because he looks the part, and the quarterback whisperers that understand the quarterback intangibles like Deshaun Kaiser more than Cody Kessler. The numbers people like myself prefer Kessler more efficient, more productive, and just as athletic. Particularly in his sophomore year, Kessler looked, Kessler's adjusted air yards per attempt one of the best in college football. I mean, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, just stand up wherever you are. Just clap. Just clap. If you like the Browns... I'm not even a Browns fan. I'm a Patriots fan. doesn't matter. I'm clapping. If you like the Browns now, if you appreciate their front office, if you've ever lived in Cleveland, if you were a fan of the team since childhood, it doesn't matter. Just wherever you are, even if you're in a public place, just clap. Just clap for them. They're doing everything right. There's two ways to play this draft. You either play it like the Cleveland Browns did or you play it like the New England Patriots did. Both teams won this draft. One team got Miles Garrett, Jabro Peppers, David Njoku, and Deshaun Kaiser. The other team got Coney Ealy, Brandon Cooks, Derek Rivers, quality, underrated prospects, and exceptional, proven performers at the NFL level now. And you might ask, well, who is this Derek Rivers guy that the Patriots drafted? Well, Derek Rivers is a player. Now, one of the reasons why I feel so liberated having this draft behind me is because for weeks, all I did was study defensive players. I knew that we had to add the defensive players if I was going to get airtime on the Yahoo draft show. It was the only way. And while I was preparing for the show, I came across this Derek Rivers, and I didn't understand why he was not a first round graded prospect. I said, What? He's going in the first round. He runs a 4.61 at 6.4, 250. That's a 109.8, 79th percentile speed score, 78th percentile burst, 80th percentile agility. And this is from a precocious mega producer. I know that many draft analysts like to talk about Derek Barnett from Tennessee because he broke Reggie White's sack record, was one of the most productive defensive linemen as a freshman in the history of college football. Derek Barnett's freshman year sack totals simply weren't believable. 73 tackles as a freshman, 20 and a half tackles for a loss. As a freshman, he led the SEC in tackles for a loss as a freshman. We love Derek Barnett's production. But then when he tested at the NFL scouting combine... He was below average in every metric with the exception of agility score. That's not what an edge rusher looks like at the NFL level. Derek Rivers was equally as productive as Derek Barnett at the college level. I mean, 19.5 tackles for a loss and 14 sacks as a senior. I mean, he was second in all of college football and sacks in his senior year at Youngstown State. So Derek Rivers was small school Derek Barnett. The fact that he was still on the board for the Patriots in round three, pick 19, was stunning. It really was. It stunned me. It absolutely stunned me. It was like getting hit by a stun gun. Derek Rivers is available in the middle of the third round? Not possible. And then I looked at who drafted him. Of course. Oh, of course the Patriots did not have a first round pick. They did not have a second round pick, but what are they going to do? Of course, they're going to draft a first round caliber defensive end in the middle of the third round. That is just so Patriots. Oh, oh, they're too good. They're too good. Those of us that understand how to properly evaluate NFL prospects, there's very few of us out there, but those of us that understand how to do it properly look at the Patriots and go, oh, this isn't fair. This just isn't fair how demoralized must most of the NFL feel when they watch what the Patriots are doing but that's the beauty of it see most player personnel most of, most of the most individuals that are in player personnel don't understand it they don't know what they're missing they mock analytics they have no idea that there's this incredibly useful pool of information out there and tools available to them it is willful ignorance that allows many of these teams to continue to draft players based on a status quo that is incredibly inefficient and creates suboptimal rosters, but they don't know the difference because they're ignorant of analytics. They don't know the difference. They don't know what they're missing. They actually think that they had a better draft than the Browns. I'm sure there are lots of teams that honestly believe, if you had them on truth serum, they honestly believe they had a better draft than the Cleveland Browns. Like They honestly believe that. Because they don't know what they're missing. Because they're ignorant. It's just this willful ignorance that soaks so many NFL front offices. And at this point, I just find it humorous. I found it hugely frustrating for years to sit where I sit at playerprofiler.com and watch NFL teams fail to optimize their roster every single year. And now I just laugh. Just laugh. I laugh at what the Cleveland Browns are doing to the league. It is humorous to see so many of these teams get treated like marks. Because that's what they are. The Bears are marks. The Dolphins are marks. The Bills are marks. The Texans are marks. Deshaun Watson. (laughs) They traded up for him. They didn't merely let Deshaun Watson fall to them, which he very well could have. No, no, no. Let's not risk it. No, can't risk it. Gonna trade up. Gonna trade Jabril Peppers Plus. To get Deshaun Watson, who can throw the football in the upper 40s. <laughs> the upper 40s. Even fifth-round pick Tyrod Taylor, a player the Buffalo Bills can't get rid of fast enough. At least he throws at 50 miles per hour. At least he does. And by the way, Tyrod Taylor was a winner. How about that? I own Tyrod Taylor in almost every Dynasty League, and I was terrified the Bills were going to draft a quarterback. They didn't. Tyrod Taylor, one of the big winners from this draft. And potentially Cody Kessler, because if Cody Kessler can win that job outright and become the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, he'll be throwing to David Njoku and Kenny Britt and Corey Coleman. And no, he's not going to be throwing the ball to Gary Barnage. Get out of here. I can't believe they're still making Gary's. There are people named Gary that are my age. I cannot believe that. Who names their kid Gary after 1950? So no, Gary Barnage's time is over as a useful fantasy asset. I can break that news right now. Gary Barnage's time is over as a useful fantasy asset. I can break that news right now. The Houston Texans are the Brooklyn Nets of the NFL. They're trading all of their future assets. They're trading their entire future to go 10-6 and and lose in the first round. We've talked about this on this show multiple times. The conflict of interest between a front office and a coaching staff and ownership and the fans. Ownership and the fans want the team to invest in the future. They want the team to stockpile picks. They want the team to... Get great value on draft day. You want to acquire value. You just want to be on the positive side of the ledger, on the positive side of the value ledger on draft day. That's all you're trying to do. Every year, the Patriots are on the positive side of the value ledger. The Browns are on the positive side of the value ledger. And over time, if you continue to be in the positive, be in the black, your wins will incrementally rise, and you will build a strong franchise. It will enhance the brand. It will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. The team will win year over year over year. But you have to start somewhere. And that's what the Browns are doing. They're saying, we have to start with these incremental value victories now. We may not make the playoffs this year. We may not make the playoffs next year. But if we continue to make these incremental bets and win on the margins in the offseason and during the NFL draft, eventually the talent profile of our team in the aggregate will steadily rise and then one year we're going to look around and we're going to have a 10-5 and team and we're going to be in the playoffs. That's the right way to build a franchise for the future, to create value for the franchise and to have a chance to win championships for the fans. That's what the fans and the ownership want. But that's not what's happening in Houston because the front office is making moves from a position of weakness because the rest of the NFL smells blood in the water. They know that the Houston front office is in a must-win position. The Houston coaching staff must win to secure their jobs. So there is a direct conflict of interest. And this is how you see desperate front office moves get executed where a team trades their future for the present. They gamble away the future picks in hopes of winning one playoff game. That's the New Jersey Nets model that the Houston Texans have implemented. And what's going to happen? Deshaun Watson is going to face plant because he can't throw the football hard enough. He can't hit the out route. No, he can't. He doesn't have great touch on the deep ball. He can't throw into tight windows. He will throw a lot of interceptions. And he will cripple their franchise. And if you're looking into the future, the Texans do not have picks to bolster their franchise in 2018-2019 This is exactly what happened to the New York Nets. This is how a franchise can face a lost decade. Five years from now, when Bill O'Brien is long gone, the Houston Texans will be suffering because of these short-sighted decisions that were made in conflict with the best interests of the franchise's value and the customers. Because you see what the 49ers were able to do, acquiring two extra picks by moving down one spot to take the guy they were going to take anyway. Of course, the 49ers were going to take Solomon Thomas. Solomon Thomas looks like a poor man's Aaron Donald. He looks like a player that can add a little weight and move inside and take advantage of his 1123 agility score. The fact that Solomon Thomas, an edge rusher, was able to post an 1123 agility score is just truly stunning. Because in the edge rusher classification on playerprofiler.com, the other edge rushers that post 1120 agility scores, they're 250 pounds. They're not 273 pounds. And Solomon Thomas is only 6'3". He's not 6'5", 6'6". And he only posted a half a sack per game at Stanford. So he's not a one-dimensional edge rusher. He's someone that can be kicked inside and just blow up plays with inside leverage, as opposed to being a prototypical edge rusher. That's the Aaron Donald prototype. Solomon Thomas is what many people thought Jonathan Allen could become last year, before Jonathan Allen hurt his shoulder again, tested at the combine, and he was 10th percentile or below across all those metrics. And we thought, oh, God, okay, woof, ah! Jonathan Allen's the most overrated player in this draft after Deshaun Watson. Solomon Thomas is what we thought Jonathan Allen was. Just an incredibly versatile player who can play essentially every position on the defensive line. He has the agility to stuff the run. He has the explosion, 122.5 burst score, 81st percentile, to terrorize quarterbacks. 10, 19, 77th percentile playmaking radius. Solomon Thomas is just going to make plays consistently at the NFL level. So that's why San Francisco was going to draft Solomon Thomas, who went to Stanford right down the street. Just like you would assume the Miami Dolphins were going to take David Njoku. But why were the 49ers able to acquire Solomon Thomas? Because they're not worried about quarterback because their regime is new. The front office staff is not making decisions in the short term to preserve their jobs. They're making long-term decisions in the best interest of the franchise. John Lynch's motivations, and the wants and desires of the fans are all aligned. That's how you build a team from scratch. The San Francisco 49ers need to build a team from scratch. The last thing you want to do if you're trying to build a team from scratch is start overpaying for the quarterback position. So the 49ers had no intention of drafting Mitchell Trubisky, and they fooled the Bears into giving them two free draft picks. Suckers! Now, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Leonard Fournette, this is how bad franchises stay bad. Tom Coughlin (laughs) runs the Jacksonville Jaguars. What did you think he was going to do? There is a new regime in Jacksonville, but not all new regimes are created equal. Clearly, the new regime in San Francisco is competent. And clearly, the new regime in Jacksonville is incompetent. It's fucking Tom Coughlin. I mean, get out of here with these musty, mummified, retread zeros at the top of the franchise. I mean, this is how a Leonard Fournette draft pick happens. Tom fucking Coughlin picking Leonard Fournette as if he's the next Ezekiel Elliott. It doesn't matter. You'll never know because you don't have Dallas's offensive line. The running back position is largely disposable it was a rare thing to see the Pittsburgh Steelers franchise Le'Veon Bell. Now, Jason Fitzpatrick came on the show and explained why it was a rational move to franchise Le'Veon Bell, but that's Le'Veon Bell. There are very few Le'Veon Bells in the National Football League. That's an outlier. Most first-round running backs look like Melvin Gordon. They don't look like Le'Veon Bell. And you don't spend a first-round pick... On a running back that looks like Melvin Gordon or Todd Gurley or Curtis Enos. I don't know. The running backs that were available later in this draft and the running backs that were available in the free agent market were so good that the differential between whatever Leonard Fournette is and those running backs was very small. So the value proposition of using a fourth overall pick on a running back, regardless of who it is, is minuscule. Awful pick. If you're a fan of the Jacksonville Jaguars, I am sorry. There are just so many teams that are doing it wrong. And there are so many fan bases I'm just sorry for. Like, I'm sorry. I take no glee in this. I'm not celebrating incompetence. I'm not celebrating fan misery. I don't want you to think that. I was never celebrating the misery of the 49ers in previous years. I'm hoping for the best for that franchise. They're now pointed in the right direction thankfully but Jacksonville Jaguars are now pointed in the wrong direction they're pointed down now I do believe Leonard Fournette is an every down workhorse absolutely I think he can catch passes out of the backfield as good as anyone in this draft class with the exception of Jeremy McNichols Christian McCaffrey Alvin Kamara we know there are a handful of exceptional receivers in this draft understood but after those players I think Leonard Fournette can catch the ball as well as any of them. Why? Because he posted an upper percentile target share while he was at LSU. You think, well, how is that possible? He only had 19 receptions. That was his max. Yes, but in his final year at LSU before he was hurt, he was catching two passes per game. Catching two passes per game in the LSU offense is very different than catching two passes per game if you're in the Baylor system or the Oregon system or the Eastern Washington system. If you're catching two passes in the LSU system, that's a significant percentage of their passing game. That's how you get to a target share 12%, which is 82nd percentile if you're Leonard Fournette. Because of the few times they chose to pass at LSU, they were targeting Leonard Fournette frequently. He is a good receiver. So what I'm hearing is that Leonard Fournette's not the best rookie pick this year because he doesn't catch passes because we're not sure if he'll be active in all phases he's a one-dimensional grinder now if we're talking about Dante Foreman or Jamal Williams then yes I would agree with that yes that's correct that's why you don't draft those players either but that's not right when critiquing Leonard Fournette Leonard Fournette absolutely has an every down skill set he will be active in all phases because he's good in all phases on a better team, he would absolutely be the best dynasty prospect in this class. There's always going to be an argument between Leonard Fournette and Corey Davis. I'm in rookie drafts right now. Some are picking Davis. Some are picking Fournette. I prefer to take running backs in my rookie drafts, so I understand the preference for Leonard Fournette given his skill set is exceptional. one sixteen point zero ninety sixth percentile speed score. So he is a size-adjusted athletic specimen like we've rarely seen. But I'm not drafting him with either the first or the second pick in rookie drafts. Why? Because landing spot matters! He went to the Jaguars! Does anyone not know this? Am I the only one that knows he went to the Jaguars? Like, hello? It's a terrible place to run the ball! The running game is shit. They can't block anybody. Don't you know this? It's ridiculous to think about Leonard Fournette as the number one pick in a rookie draft after he's landed on Jacksonville. <laughs> if he was drafted by the Oakland Raiders and the Oakland Raiders did not sign Marshawn Lynch, then yeah, I get the argument for Leonard Fournette. He does have an every-down skill set. And on a team with a good offensive line that visits the red zone frequently, you can justify picking him ahead of Corey Davis. Absolutely. The Jaguars? With Blake Bortles at quarterback? And one of the worst run-blocking offensive lines in football? Leonard Fournette is doomed. No one ever wants to be drafted by the Jaguars. No one ever Now, if they had turned over their front office in a rational way and hired individuals that grade players, prospects, free agents, based on things you can measure, then yeah, maybe the franchise would be pointing in the right direction and going to the Jacksonville Jaguars wouldn't be a death sentence. But going to the Jacksonville Jaguars with Tom Coughlin at the head of the organization, that's a death sentence. Yes, it is. Especially if you're a running back. He's still a top three pick in rookie drafts. After Corey Davis and Christian McCaffrey, you got to go Leonard Fournette because he is going to operate on an every-down basis, and that's very rare. So on that alone, you have to draft him in the top three. But get out of here with Leonard Fournette as the first pick in Dynasty rookie drafts. It's Corey Davis by a wide margin, then you have Christian McCaffrey, and then there's a smaller margin, a smaller step down to Leonard Fournette. But that's your top three. And there's no disputing it, but that's the correct top three. It's Davis, it's McCaffrey, it's Fournette, and that's it. I don't, there's no discussion, there's no argument, it's just obvious. And if it's not obvious to you, you don't know what you're talking about, and you're not evaluating players and situations properly for fantasy football. In a PPR league, of course, duh, duh. Obviously, a PPR league. In a standard league, it's a whole other conversation, and I don't want to have that conversation. I don't have time to have that conversation. If you're in standard leagues, my recommendation is stop jerking off in standard leagues and have sex in a PPR league. I apologize that in trying to get through the entire first round and talk about every team in the NFL, we got through four picks. <laughs> it talked about five teams. I get it. If you're new to the show, that's kind of how it works. We overpromise and we underdeliver on Roto Underworld Radio. But if you're interested in my take on. Some of the other players and teams in this draft, you'll just have to tune in because we will be talking about everybody that was drafted in the first round. We will be grading the draft of every team at some point on the show in the weeks ahead. You just have to stay tuned.